Welcome to the Being Better Together podcast from Learning from Excellence and Civility Saves Lives. This podcast is a series of conversations with people who inspire us about making healthcare a better place to work. We cover a wealth of topics from workplace cultures through inspiration, laughter and joy to appreciative inquiry and how to do work safely. I'm Adrian from Learning from Excellence. In this conversation, we meet with Professor Lindsay Godwin. Lindsay is the Robert P. Stiller Chair of Management and the Academic Director of the Cooper Ryder Centre for Appreciative Inquiry at Champlain College. She describes herself as a professor, a practitioner and a possibilitizer. We'll cover the definition of that term at the end of the conversation. In this recording, you'll hear about the theoretical principles behind the practice and philosophy of appreciative inquiry. And Lindsay also offers her definition of appreciative inquiry and busts the myth that it is all about the positive. Indeed, it is best used as a methodology to face our challenges. So we're here with Lindsay Godwin. Lindsay, hello. Thanks for joining us. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're delighted you could join us. And, and thanks to Suzanne Quinney for introducing us. Um, so... For the listeners who might not have come across your work yet, could you give us a quick summary just to start with on what your career has been and, and uh, what you're up to nowadays? I know. It's like the existential question, who am I and what have I done in the world, right? So, um, currently, my my role is I am a, the, the Stiller Chair of Management um, at our Stiller School of Business at Champlain College in Burlington, Vermont in the United States where I also serve as the academic director for our Cooper Writer Center for Appreciative Inquiry. Um, and the Cooper Writer Center is our global hub for people to learn, apply, and amplify appreciative inquiry across the world. And my journey and, and career path in this work has been um, many decades in the making. Um, I am thrilled and delighted and somewhat surprised to say <laughs> that I've been um, doing and connected to the appreciative inquiry work and community for over 20 years now. Um, I guess my, my formal um, connection and, and um, career path in it is I did my doctoral work in organizational behavior at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland, Ohio in the United States, which is really the um, one of the hotbed home bases for appreciative inquiry where David Cooper Ryder and Ron Fry and Suresh Vastabad and sort of uh, many of the leading thought leaders in appreciative inquiry are um, or have been professors. And so I was fortunate enough to be a doctoral student with David and Ron and others. Um, and so started working with, um, um, with collaborating with David and getting to know and connected to the global AI community through that work. I always sort of joke that I realized that my um, uh, indoctrination or in introduction to appreciative inquiry um, I know wasn't the, the typical pathway when one of the first AI summits that I was privileged to be a part of um, was the work that, that David and Ron and others were doing um, with Kofi Annan at the time with the UN Global Compact. So one of my first appreciating great summits was at the UN. I know I pinched myself. It doesn't seem real. Um, so it was... Um, a wonderful, rich learning journey um, with David and continuing to collaborate again with David and others in our global community that led me to, um, I've been the co-chair for several of our world AI conferences um, from Florida to Nepal, <laughs> on, um, helping to be on planning committees for our uh, conferences in South Africa and Belgium and France and other places. Um, at the center, we are the co-publisher for the AI Practitioner Journal, which um, is the, um, the, yeah, the practitioner journal for the appreciative inquiry community. Um, and I have long both been, um, I really consider myself a, a, I go back and forth. Am I a scholar practitioner, a practitioner scholar? I know that is probably a false dichotomy in and of itself. Um, but any day I'm sort of on that spectrum of both, uh, I've done a lot of writing and uh, work sort of academically in appreciative inquiry. One of my recent articles, I'm currently working with some colleagues um, to create a, a measurement for appreciative intelligence, working with Tojo Thatchen Carey and others um, uh, on, on that sort of at the individual construct level. Um, 
And, um, and I'm also very much in the practitioner world. So working with organizations all over the world, um, uh, both here in Vermont from our friends at Ben and Jerry's <laughs> um, to um, one of the one of the last um, in-person summits that I was fortunate enough to be a part of before um, pandemic life changed our, our ways of being together was with the city of Tampa. Um, so, and then since then have been doing virtual work um, with different organizations now and hybrid work. Um, but so teaching, so we have, a, I teach and, and have developed our certificate program in appreciative inquiry. And um, yes, I, I think my, <laughs> it has not been a, uh, um, it's been very much an organic, wonderful journey of mine in the prison of inquiry, and I just feel so fortunate and really um, uh, inspired to be part of a global community of practice that every day surprises me and I learn from of what people are doing and new ways that people are applying appreciative inquiry. I think that's one of the beauties of appreciative inquiry is um, there's so many different ways to bring it to life in different um organizations and at different levels from interpersonal to whole system. So it's a little bit of who I am and background and appreciative inquiry uh, work that I've done. And I, I guess the whole sort of practitioner scholar thing, they complement each other so nicely because you can bring your real life experience into what you then teach and and it's exactly. Like I think we need a new word. <laughs> I'm sure that there is a new word. Exactly. I think that that it's um, just, a, a, I don't know, it's a true global learner, right? We have to study it and, and we have to do it. It's that sort of experiential learning cycle <laughs> of, right? So it's sort of the doing, the reflecting, the writing, the doing. And I think exactly, I think it makes me a better teacher when I'm out in the field, I think it makes me a better writer. And I think being a writer and reading and researching makes me a better practitioner when I'm out in the field. So exactly. Um, oh. um, for some people, um, they will be really new to the whole idea of appreciative inquiry. inquiry. Um, and I wondered if you could, like there's literally no one better I can think of to kind of describe it sort of, and it's very sort of, basic kind of essence really like when you're teaching your kind of scholars like on the first day how do you kind of dis describe it yeah no it's a great question and um yes anybody that's googled appreciative inquiry or that will be googling appreciative inquiry after this there are lots of different definitions um of various different sort of academic ilk out there and really the definition that um that I and that we, we really have been saying at the center, sort of AI in its essence is basically, it's the search for what is life-giving and possible within people in the world around us, right? It's about intentionally asking what we want to accelerate and grow with the realization that what we appreciate, appreciates, right? So I really, I really have always been grateful to, to David and others that um, that they use that word appreciative, not positive inquiry, but appreciative inquiry um, in that economic sense of the term, right? That what we, what we focus on, what we ask about intentionally and bring our attention to is what appreciates or grows in value. And so really at its heart for me, um, AI is two verbs, right? It, it is two verbs with really big impact. How do we appreciate, right? What do we focus on and, and want to um, grow in value and that inquire? So appreciate and inquire, sort of two separate verbs. I like to remind people it's a, it's a doing, it's a constant doing of appreciating and inquiring um, into the world around us. That's where I start. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, I hope that's what we see it as, as well, really, um, just to, choose a different focus so in you know in healthcare we often think about what's not working but this brings us a different perspective on thinking about what we want to do more of instead of what exactly. we exactly exactly and so much of our whether it's healthcare or organizational management theory or change theory has been really a, a medical model, a, a diagnostic, we sort of call it a deficit diagnostic model, right? The focus on let's figure out what's broken, what's wrong and diagnose and sort of fix it. And there are definitely times and places for that. I mean, this is, this is, this isn't about an either or appreciative inquiry is really an invitation. I think for an expansion of recognizing that, um, 
if we are only asking about those things that are broken or not working, we're missing a whole, half of the world, right? Yeah. We're missing the other half of the world. And so we have to also ask about what is working? What are the assets? What are the opportunities? Um, and really, again, flipping things from how do we fix things to recognizing, well, let's define what do we want the future to look like together? And, um, and then how are we going to make changes definitely um, to get there? Well, one of the um, comments we sometimes get when we do AI in practice, or at least when we talk about it, is that um, some, some people feel that you're yeah, sort of deliberately not looking at deficits. But actually, I found I'd be interested in your perspective on this, but I, I've found actually if you ask people about assets and strengths and possible futures that are better, they'll tell you about the deficits anyway. And, and in fact, they'll often tell you how they overcame them or how they could overcome mm -hmm. them in the future. Is that, does that ring true? I, yeah, I, I really, and I, I so am grateful for you bringing that up again, because I think that, you know, one of the one of my soapbox myths that I'm always on um, the, the path to sort of... Um, um, invite people to recognize is, yeah, that it is, it is never about ignoring what is wrong or what is it's, but it's a different way of, of um, recognizing how are we going to get to where we want to go, right? So, and the defining of what we want is actually a different exercise than just defining what we don't want right? Like I can ask you, um, you know, what do you want for dinner? You can tell me like all of the things you don't want. That doesn't tell me what your favorite meal is, right? So it's like, we have to be very intentional. Um, and I think you're right that, um, and I often see this sometimes the ways that people misuse or misapply appreciative inquiry, unfortunately, is as a tool of silence. And it is never meant to be a tool of silence, right? I have seen, unfortunately, or people have knocked on my door and said, my team, my organization, my fill in the blank is using appreciative inquiry. So they said we couldn't talk about all the things that weren't working. And I was like, please send them to me. We'll have a little intervention because that is not appreciative inquiry is meant for us to deal with our biggest challenges and our biggest um, problems but it invites us to address them and to work on them um, in a different way, right? So it's never about that we can't talk about things or that we can't bring up challenges, but it's like, how do we bring up those challenges in the context of not just sort of wallowing in the challenges, but really then, okay, a, a challenge or somebody, I always say, if somebody is has a, a fresh frustrations, one of my, one of our dear colleagues, Yope Young says that um, a, a, a frustration or somebody that's upset is because they have a frustrated dream, right? If somebody's unhappy or, you know, it, or they're mad in a team or they're mad in a system, it's because they have a vision that they want it to be a different way. That's why they're upset. That's why they're frustrated, right? And so let's inquire into, well, what do you want it to look like, right? And then exactly, unpack exactly as you said, Adrian. like when have we overcome challenges? What are the ways that we have had resiliency in the past, right? And so unpacking that, but toward the end of where do we want to be going, not just um, creating a litany of all of the problems, if that makes sense. Yeah, it really kind of rings true that. And already just hearing you talk about that, I, I get that little wave of energy, the whole sort of, um, you know, the way to kind of address a problem by thinking about what could be. It just, it, it feels so much more energizing, doesn't it? It does. I mean, and we know, um, we get into this with the principles. I mean, we know, it's like, we always are like, yeah, we know this works in practice. We know now, like, we have neuroscience behind this now, right? Like we know at like a neurological level, exactly like you're saying, is that when we're coming from a positive affective state, um, Barbara Fredrickson's work in positive psychology, her one of her classic articles, what good are positive emotions? It's yeah, they feel good, but they actually make us smarter. They broaden our cognitive capacity and our ability um, to make better decisions, be more creative, all of those to be more collaborative with one another. So at a neurological level, <laughs> like we are learning, right, that our brains actually function better when we are focused and, and in this realm and, and um, framing things from a 
again, from that positive affective state, again, not ignoring, um, because again, we do have to address those challenges we can't ignore them. Um, yeah. but yeah, me asking you that is there's something there rather than, you know, why are you tell me all the reasons why you're frustrated? Well, tell me, what do you want it to look like? What is it going to look like when we're successful and how, how are we going to get there? You mentioned about the principles there, and this is something I've, you know, uh, when we kind of paused and did a little bit of the training, and I know we said you don't necessarily need the training, but I think it really, it does, it does help to understand yeah. the principles behind it. And I wondered, or well, we were hoping you could give us a kind of short, I can. <laughs> like of the principles of where it kind of comes from to help people yeah. understand. Definitely. And I appreciate that. That is something too, that we really focus on at the Cooper Writer Center, the importance of understanding. Again, some people think about a push of inquiry, we can get into the ways it's applied, right? The 4D process is, is an often way that people think about it. And AI summits is a methodology of appreciative inquiry, but to us, right, it's really the, the heart of understanding and showing up again as an appreciative inquirer <laughs> is really um, at the heart of sort of thinking about these principles. And so I'll just, I'll give you just the headline and the bumper sticker on them. And then we can, if you want to go into any of sort of, again, like where did they come from? Or again, there's research and science behind each of them. Um, and they have implications, obviously, yes, for us in practice. Um, so, and there's a um, sort of five classic principles and we always sort of add, there's been some emergent principles as well. Um, so the ones that we really sort of highlight um, and focus on are the, um, the simul, I'll just say them and then I'll give the bumpers, the, the simultaneity principle, the anticipatory principle, the constructionist principle, the poetic principle, the positive principle and the wholeness principle. And so just taking each of those, the bumper sticker, what is the, what are those words mean? Cause this now we're in the academic realm of like, those are interesting academic words. What do they really mean? Right. Um, the simultaneity principle um, is, is basically means that every question we ask creates change, right? That simultaneity, that questions, inquiry <laughs> and change are simultaneous moments. Right. It's not that we're going to go ask a bunch of questions and then figure out what we want to change. The very moment that you ask a question is an intervention. You're starting a change because you're focusing people. Right. If I'm asking you about tell me about morale in this organization. Well, I've just focused you on. morale, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a focus. So there is an intervention in every question that we ask. And so that's both um, exciting and overwhelming, right? There's a lot of um, influence and power. We really think about ourselves as inquirers, as being every question we ask creates change. So again, back to how do we become intentional inquirers? So the anticipatory principle, um, the bumper sticker on that is that our images of the future inspire action today, right? Anticipatory, the, our anticipation of what the future, what the um, tomorrow looks like is going to inspire action today. And of course, in healthcare, I probably don't need to go into the science behind that one with the placebo <laughs> studies and the whole, um, the whole science that we know behind um, just the power of of, um, of images, right? The images that we hold to actually have fact, we get into the um, Pygmalion studies in, 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 uh, in education, right? The self-fulfilling prophecy, sort of the images that um, there's been a lot of, of research, especially in education of the images that teachers hold of students yeah. being, you know, um, good students or bad students <laughs> literally impacts, right? How they show up with those students. Um, so that anticipatory principle and then the constructionist principle, um, the bumper sticker on this is that the words that we use create our realities or in short words, create worlds is what this means. Right. And this is really where appreciative inquiry and other, um, uh, work is really grounded in, in social construction. This idea that we've created our our organizations, our teams, our relationships, right? Together, we, we are co-creating those all of the time. 
and we can change them. <laughs> we forget that sometimes, right? We forget that we've created our structures and our different things. But um, and so much of that is is reinforced through our words with one another, right? So as we become more cognizant um, and thinking about literally the words that we use when we're asking questions, when we're in conversation with each other, our words create realities, right? So um, just to give you an example of this, I, I love it. I had a um, client I was working with um, and they, we were, we were doing some consulting with them and, and they, they said um, they don't have retreats. They have advances. They're like, we don't retreat, we advance. And so just, you know, I mean, like think about just even things like that, you know, that sort of the, it's signaling, right? Our words are signaling um, with each other. So Words create worlds, so being really intentional um, down to the, the language that we use with one another. Um, the poetic principle is uh, reminding us that we can choose what we focus on, that we have choice in our focus. And so it comes from the poet. The word poem is sort of like a poem or a book, right? We have, um, there's endless interpretations, right? <laughs> in that's where it comes from, the, the word, the poet principle. And so the idea is that it's really, it's all there to be found if we want to look for it. So in any system, I can look for breakdown, failure, fill in the blank of all of the ills that we usually spend our time looking for. And I didn't use the word or, and we can also look for moments of improbable cooperation right? The times that we didn't think people were going to cooperate and they did. We can look for um, transformative um, communication, right? They might be micro moments, but the idea is that it's all there and much like a poem or a book to be found and interpreted. It's all there. And it's, again, we have choice in our focus of, are we going to, again, inquire and focus on the what we don't want? Are we going to focus on what is it that we want to find and understand and accelerate in this system? So the positive principle um, is um, this reminder that we excel best when we amplify what's working. <laughs> and just as you <laughs> said, Emma, right, that you were getting those feelings, as I said, this is really now so much connected to our colleagues work in, in positive psychology, like I said, and, and other places where there's just, um, there's a whole um, sea shift happening in the social sciences where we have so focused, you know, again, in psychology, in organizational development, on understanding all of the things that aren't working. We are understanding now, like I said, even down to the neuros, like down to like the neuroscience level. Um, and again, as, as I was referring to Barbara Fredrickson's work and others, of just this recognition that, um, you know, that positive affective space really does like when we, it, it, we do excel best. <laughs> we are, our brains actually work better, right? We can look at like, are we swimming in dopamine? Are we swimming in like, what are we swimming in? Um, and what is, how is that impacting literally like our cognition? And then you can scale that right up all the way to a system level, right? That a, it's not just at the individual level, but a system level that we excel best when we amplify what is working. Um, and then finally, like I said, the, we also really focus on, on the wholeness principle, which wasn't one of the first five sort of classic principles, but has um, since um, emerged and really become an important principle. The wholeness principle really reminds us that wholeness brings out our best, whether that's thinking about at an individual level, like how are we embracing our wholeness? Um, again, the yin and yang of who we are, but into whole systems, right? This really gets in and I'm so grateful and, and appreciating how AI is coming to bear and um, relevant in our very important work uh, in the world today around um, social justice issues, right? And diversity, equity, and inclusion. This principle of how do we bring voices to the table that have never been invited to the table before. So in um, any sort of AI process or methodology, one of this principle comes into play of, you know, anybody that has a stake or is going to be impacted by this work that we're doing, we need to include them in that, right? So it's not about, we always say people don't, um, uh, David, I, I was I give David credit for this. I'm not sure if he was the first one to say, right? People don't um, sort of resist change. They resist being changed. 
and that we say, right, people commit to what they help co-create. And so this has implications in any system, right? When we're, we're doing stuff is in education for me, right? How am I bringing my students' voice into new curriculum that I'm designing? And it's not just three faculty in a room coming up with a new class. How are we, you know, engaging the whole system um, in that? And so again, that, that wholeness really brings out our best. Um, those are the principles and sort of their little <laughs> bumper sticker. Um, happy to, to do a deeper dive on any of those if you want. Oh, it's a, a, a really brilliant summary. Very easy to follow as well. I mean, they, as you were saying that, I've, you know, I've read these principles before and thought about them, but it occurred to me that they sort of, principles that underpin psychology and, uh, and reality, not just right. just appreciative inquiry. This is about how we, um, the effect of language, uh, mm. as you say, neuroscience. Um, how we... that, I'm so appreciative that you said that, Adrian, because to me, that's why appreciative inquiry, and I don't even care if people call it AI or what. To me, this is, this is a framework for just understanding how am I an effective human being in the world, right? I mean, this is like, we can get into this specific, again, tools and methodologies of appreciative inquiry, but it's really, it's a way of looking at and understanding the world. And then how do we show up together? Yeah, I mean, we see, so just sort of practical reflections on some of the principles. So we started doing appreciative inquiry ourselves after we started learning from excellence a few years ago, we, we initially did a root cause analysis to try and understand what went well. That was actually quite mm -hmm. interesting, but it felt a bit narrow and constrained and backwards looking. So then we found appreciative inquiry on the Google search and read one of David Cooperider's papers and, and we we made a quick protocol and just started asking questions that felt quite intuitive actually. And then over mm -hmm. the years we've done some training and, and more reading on it. And, and, spotting these principles are kind of true. So, I mean, for example, we did a project where we improved some antibiotic uh, use in our intensive care unit, and we used the appreciative inquiry on some of the, uh, with some of our colleagues. And I remember, you know, we were, we were discussing some changes that, that would be good to make a better future mm -hmm. and coming up with the interview. And we, we sort of parked those suggested changes as something that we would escalate. But the next day we came in and found that they'd already started to happen because the person who'd come up with them had undergone the change. You know, they, they'd actually not just hadn't exactly. even been aware of this prior to the questioning and then went about and became motivated to change. And the this constructionist principle, the, the I, to me that sort of is um, closely aligned with the idea of framing so you can mm -hmm. so a thing that i commonly find um a little bit upsetting is when we're asked how burnt out we are and, you know if you if you ask someone how, are you right. jay burnt out or tired or yeah. about resigning then you, you're more like than i am now right now <laughs> yeah. um, and that's kind of frame you, know, you can frame that question you can frame that question slightly differently and say you know what is it about work that makes you feel that makes you flourish? Has there ever been a day when things have gone well? Um, and the bad stuff will still come up, right. I think. Yeah. What's supporting your resiliency right now? Let's talk about why do you need resiliency and what is it that is that's happening that's supporting your resiliency in this moment? Very again, different questions, different focus lead us to different, yeah. different outcomes. That's some of the audience I think we would include ourselves in this we're quite compelled by kind of em empirical data like you, you mentioned there's uh, science out there not just this these kind of principles which might be considered to be just intuitive there is actually some neuroscience and psychology science yeah each one of these principles we could go into whole sort of you know things from um you know, even back to like anthropological work with the power of language, right? Um, so yeah, we could go into the science behind, behind all of them. Our last conference actually was about language, like why language matters. And we talked a lot around that and we had a ling linguist come and kind of mm. talk about some of the subtleties of just changing the words that you use um, to kind of frame how you feel about things and how what sort of response you elicit which was you know absolutely 
fascinating because you know there's little tiny tweaks I think actually that make a real kind of difference to um I it's so true I mean and I've seen it in with other colleagues in in healthcare settings you know changing things again literally from like calling somebody by a diagnosis right so like they're a um they're schizophrenic too they have a diagnosis of schizophrenia it's different, right? The person is homeless to the person currently without housing, yeah. right? Those are, those evoke different um, things in us <laughs> um, yeah. and how we, and like I said, all the way up to like organizational level from, um, you know, are, do we have performance reviews or do we have performance accelerators, right? Do we give feedback or do we give feed forward, Um so I love the, like the, and in healthcare it's too, but in organizations, people, so that's a word that I just, I want to retire it. Um, post-mortems after, um, so from a, from a, from a medical, right. So like in organizations, we have a project or something and they're like, well, now we're going to do our post-mortem, which literally means after death, right. We know this, right. Post-mortem means after death. And so I'm like, yeah. How about we don't kick the dead horse and, you know, what, what do, it's not a postmortem. Is it a, you know, is it a reflective, whatever we get, we have all the words are ours yeah. to use. <laughs> better. Yeah. We have a lot of words that derive from um, military kind of connotations yeah. as well. Yeah. I think kind of come up that yeah. aren't necessarily always kind of the most um, helpful. And um, I, I wonder like, um, if you've got some examples of how um, you've seen AI used in healthcare or you've been involved in, we've talked a little bit a little bit around this actually already. I love that thing on the placebo effect, actually. I haven't, I haven't drawn, this is embarrassing, I haven't drawn that kind of a parallel with the anticipatory principle, but of course that's it kind of coming to life. But if you had any other examples of how you've seen it used or... I mean, in the stories of, yeah, of... Um, and Dave and others have, have um, some great stories too of, but at that individual practitioner level of, um, again, back to the placebo studies, right? And, and different research that suggests, right? A third to two thirds of our healing is actually due to the expectation of the patient, right? So the like, um, so work that um, uh, in different places where they literally, you know, have patients sort of do, you know, visualization exercises right of the of themselves of you know um being in 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 future stages of health sort of like thinking about that so actually like bringing in and inviting sort of that intentionally uh explicitly sort of doing some of that um sort of that from that anticipatory principle right like inviting um sort of that that visualization work um so I've seen like that happen with individual practitioners and, and stuff um, to, again, where, where some of the work that, that I've been in part of seen is, is again, more, um, uh, again, we can get into sort of between the um, healthcare worker and patient. There's a lot of, you know, again, asking questions, but, you know, asking different questions um, with one another. But a lot of the work that I've seen it too is more, again, at the, the organization level, right? So like in units. Um, you know, like, so how do we, um, bring in and, and have some of this where, again, we're focused on lifting up those examples of what's working, right? So looking at, so not just going at, um, and unpacking again, all the, where it wasn't, but taking those moments, even if from that, from a positive deviance perspective, right? Where, um, um, there was um, not just a breakdown in communication, but where something really worked well in a team. And then sort of a whole, whether that's a nursing team or, you know, a, a, um, sort of coming together to actually do an intentional reflection and inquiry and unpacking because success isn't an accident, right? We often treat success like an accident. And actually a lot of things have to go right in order for success to happen. And somehow we've, we've treated like failure is like the only thing that's worthwhile to be analyzed. Mm-hmm. And that somehow success will, it, we don't need to pay attention to it. It will just take care of itself. 
when actually, like you're saying, like we do root cause analysis of failure, we don't do root cause analysis of success. So seeing teams and units in healthcare sort of take the intentional, let's have a root cause analysis of success. This this was a surprise that this <laughs> that this worked or that this happened. Let's unpack like what happened. Um, some of the classic studies and work, um, there was, again, it comes from the positive deviance literature, um, looking at where there had been um, lower levels of, of certain infection rates. Um, you guys probably know this study better than I have, right? But um, where they recognized like on a certain, like within the same hospital, like on a particular floor, there was like a lower infection rate of like the staff infection and stuff. And they're like, what's going, what's going on there, right? And so really recognizing there was something to inquire into. And so they, um, it, it turned out that it was, a, um, it was a particular practice that the janitorial team had been doing sort of unintentionally with the extra disposal of gloves and, and different things um, that wasn't part of the standard protocol for, for, for cleaning. Um, but like this extra step that they had taken um, was, was resulting in lower um, like staff infections. And so that then becomes something that we can scale up and sort of, you know, learn from and, and anticipate. So again, it's the recognizing like those, those pockets and understanding. It's not just like, well, why are these 10, 10, <laughs> why, why are these 10 places, you know, so bad recognizing that there's a lot of insights and wisdom and practical um, transferring of, of, of learning that can happen. Well, what's going on in that one place where it's lower or it's higher, whatever, right? Where whatever is happening. Um, so yeah, some of the original, um, positive deviance, um, studies actually came out of healthcare, um, looking at, at that. Now I find, um, we sometimes ask because the learning from excellence is sort of related to positive deviance, it often captures episodes of positive deviance. So we're, sometimes asked, how do you go about transferring something that's working really well in one area into another area? And I usually find that's actually not very easy to do, but what you can do is go to the area where you want to make improvements and find pockets of good mm -hmm. practice and excellence just within that team or within that unit, and then try and amplify it up through reinforcement, but also appreciative inquiry. I think that's such an important point too, because I'm also on a bandwagon of like, I don't think there's any such thing as best practice. I think there's inspirational practices, right? Exactly. You're saying you can't sort of plug and play one thing from one context to another, but we can get inspired by, you know, what's going on there and stuff. And then exactly, then how do we, from that constructionist principle, we still have to make it make meaning and together in our system, right? Or from a wholeness principle, right? What are the, even on this team, right? What is it going to look like for us? Um, but you can bring that in and be like, what would this look like in our system for us to do that? Um, and again, like I said, whether that's, you know, working in healthcare or anywhere, when you're bringing that, that wholeness principle, when you're bringing the different voices, heaven mm -hmm. forbid, we bring patient voices and you know custodial voices into conversations right there is the wisdom in the system isn't just within the people that have the the degrees or the name tags right um and so how do we how do we really sort of bring all of that um yeah in it's just really lovely hearing you talk about that because my conversation this morning with my colleagues in the UK was with people who are starting to try and do that and using visual inquiry kind of um, to get the stories from the patients and they were reflecting how they get a totally different perspective than they had imagined. It is, you know, you, you think a patient experiences something one way and actually... Um, they describe, you know, the really difficult situations where the patients had a sense of safety because of what was going on that they hadn't appreciated. So, mm -hmm. you know, they they were telling these lovely stories about how AI had helped right. with that, which was really lovely. You know. And it's like it's like we actually don't know what works until we ask. Right? I mean, it's the same thing like with my students or my ch my own children, right? It's like if I don't like ask that's the power of that question right so I love that exactly the 
then when we, we see this, whether it's talking to patients and being like, well, we can't talk to them, we can't ask them. And it's like, there's this whole universe of wisdom and exactly like we make assumptions that like, oh, they've had a bad experience when actually it is a bad situation does not mean, you know, that maybe that, but they've had like, what did they value? What was effective? And it turns out it was, you know, the, the, the extra pillow that somebody brought. I mean, you know, I mean, it's like, literally, it's not what we always think that it is that makes the difference. And so I see this, whether again, in healthcare or in organizations, so many companies are like, we can't talk to our customers. Oh, really? <laughs> you know, and it's sort of, you know, how are we ever going to learn what, um, what matters to them and what, you know, what have been those moments of impact that might be things that we don't even know. And actually turns out sometimes it's like, wouldn't even, co- it's not even the stuff that like costs us money to do, right? It's the, so much of it, it's the human, just the recognizing the being um, with one another. And so, I think it's really important for us to to pay attention and to inquire into that. Um, we we um, we just thought it's gone so quickly in the last forty minutes. Um, before we um, consciously um, the we have something else to get to, but I wondered if um, we've obviously just are living through this pandemic, and um, I wondered if you could maybe offer some reflections on how you've used appreciative inquiry to help you or help other organizations kind of during this time maybe um yeah um and that is the question of the day and for real I um I do turn to these principles and we've had these conversations as a community and to me um there is no roadmap for what we are you know ever living through let alone now um but I do find that these principles for me have been really a wonderful guiding compass at an individual level so doing this you know all this to me like it starts with my own work literally you know um with my my family and my we've been home and my children were home for a year (laughs) that's right and so having these um from having these conversations for us about um what's working what do we want it to look like that co-construction together right so it's not just like me as the mom or me and my husband as mom and dad but us as a family, like, okay, we're all like home, (laughs) like what and how can we do that in a way that's going to work for us? Um, And um, yeah, so really sort of like from literally from a very interpersonal sort of familial level to definitely with organizations that I'm working with um, uh, continually now too, having this. And I think I really am so struck by People don't have the language for it, but what I'm seeing is people are recognizing if there's any, if there's, there's different beauty in this, but that the, the breaking of our systems in a way is like reminding people that like we created them in the first place, right? There's something, there's an interesting thing happening. I think at both, you know, individual and collective psychology, where it's like when, again, it's like overnight, like everybody had to like work from home, (laughs) like figure all these things out and we recognize like we couldn't do things the same way because we couldn't do things the same way anymore and so the like well that's how we've always done it um sort of you know knee jerk that we use to um not change things um suddenly went by the wayside right and so now people are like almost waking up to the I see this in it's like they're waking up like oh, like, we really have to, like, create entire new, like, what is our communication together going to look like? Now, not just, like, that we're virtual, but now we're moving into this, at least here, this strange hybrid, right? Like, where it's, like, we're home and we're in person, and some people are in person, and some people are here, right? And so it's, like, we're still in this, like, creating, but there's a, I don't know, I'm seeing that there's an there's still a lot of, I'm not, I'm not, there's anxiety, there is stress, there's not, I mean, and I'm seeing openness is what I'm seeing um, in a new way from people recognizing like we, we have to, and we can create new ways of, of working together. And from the wholeness principle, you know what, it seems to work better when we actually like do that together. <laughs> 
when it's not just three people in a room somewhere figuring out, you know, what is this going to look like? But that nobody had, I mean, nobody has the answer right now, right? Nobody ever did have the answer, right? And now it's like, we really, it's like all of these things that I think these principles have well um, invited us to think about. Nobody has the answer. So let's bring the whole system together. It's like we're living that day in and day out now. Right? So um, so I do, I really seeing how um, as some of the work, again, it was just with an organization and their whole thing was about how do we reinvent our customer experience, right? And so really thinking, you know, it's like, again, from the language we use to the who and the how and the what and the, you know, so really, if anything, I mean, talk about social construction. We are recognizing that we are social constructionists at our finest and that there's real hope in that in a time when sometimes we feel so hopeless, right? There's real hope that yes, things are breaking and we can build something new. We can build something different, especially if we do it together. And I think that's what those principles and really what do we want it to look like? What do we want it to look like from that anticipatory positive principle? Yeah, the, um, the theme actually, the kind of strap line for this conference is being better together. And a couple of um, concepts like interdependence and this um, uh, concept called Ubuntu, which I think comes from... Uh, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, I think, about, it's about being, you know, basically mm -hmm. being better together. Right. And uh, we're all dependent. I am because you are, we, exactly, all of that. But the, I mean, it, this sort of leads on to the penultimate question we wanted to ask you, um, which must be something that you have asked indirectly or directly thousands of times, which is about imagining a future that's uh, better than is now that, that what is possible uh, what's your do you have a personal view on this I noticed like on your website it says professor practitioner and possibilitizer now I know what the first two mean but I don't know what a possibilitizer is so maybe you could tell us what you think is possible in the future whilst also explaining that term <laughs> I know. I love this word, this possibilitizer word. That's the social, that's the constructionist principle in me. I love words. And to me, possibilitizer um, invites this idea of how do we, um, how do I help to um, uh, shine a light on, create and accelerate possibility, right? At all levels. So um, one who possibilitizes, <laughs> it's a verb for me. Um, and so for me, exactly my, what are, what, what is my big possibilitizing vision, um, is, is, is echoing what, what we were just talking about that, um, that we do lean into our, um, individual, but really our collective capacity, um, to, to co-create things all of the time. And so as we're building now, my hope too, is that, um, you know, Kurt Lewin's sort of classic model of like change is like something happens, right? The system is frozen and then something happens and it unfreezes and you change and then you refreeze it. Right. And so we're in this great unmelting moment <laughs> of like, and so I really am, um, hopeful that we can, um, we organize and, and possibilitize together, figure out what is it that is going to work in our, in our education systems and our healthcare system is every system right now is trying to figure out what it is, you know, in a way that is going to work for all of us. And though my, my, my longer term vision is that then we don't though refreeze it in a way that we get stuck again. Cause I think that's what, right. We, we, then we, um, we um, fall back to sleep um, and forget that we built the systems and then we let the systems run us. And so my hope is, is that, you know, we, yes, we are working on things are breaking and how do we want, you know, identifying, okay, well, what do we want it to look like? How do we want our education system to serve everybody? How do we want our healthcare system to serve everybody? And we make, um, you know, micro and macro system changes, but then we don't 
pretend that we can't keep changing it. It is a living, breathing things, right? All of our systems are living, breathing things. And so um, that's what I hope is that we keep, um, yeah, my, my big possibilitizing vision is that we remember um, that, yeah, we create systems. Systems don't actually create us. <laughs> so that's, uh, I, think I that's, know. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. And I hope that can happen, actually. It makes so much sense, doesn't it, not to get fixated on how something must be, but to keep thinking about how it, mm. how it could be. And we, we have a quick final question. Right. So yeah, final question. question. Oh no, that wasn't the final question. What do I want from the future of humanity? <laughs> everybody, a slightly random question. Like, okay. um, if you could have any piece of music as a kind of theme tune um, to um, kind of uh, be playing as you walk into a room, what would it be? Mine would be the Indigo Girls Closer to Fine. Do you know this song? No, we don't. But we'll um, go and listen. The less I seek my source for for definitive answers, the closer I am to find. So you look up the lyrics to closer to find, the less I seek my source for some definitive, the closer I am to find. Nice. Nice. It took me two days to answer that question. I don't I still, think I still, I don't yeah. think I have an answer yet. So I'm very pleased. It's such a hard question, but yeah. Well, so you got to, now you got to go listen to it. You got to listen yeah. to it first and then read the lyrics, but it's both a, a pickup song, but I love that. Yeah. The, the less I seek my source for a definitive, the closer I am to find. Nice. Well, thank, thank you very much. Just, um, if, the listeners and the viewers may wish to know where they could find you. So you want, you've got a website. Um, and yes, I have my website, lindsaygodwin.com is my personal website. And you can also find me at Champlain College um, at the Cooper Writer Center. You can Google us up or I'm happy to share too with you all to share the, the website for the Cooper Writer Center where there's a lot more resources from the AI practitioner journal to upcoming events to our upcoming certification programs and all of those different things are at the um, the Cooper Writer Center for Appreciative Inquiry at Champlain College. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Thank you so much. It's been a brilliant hour. So thanks to Lindsay for giving her time to record this conversation. Her experience, knowledge and enthusiasm about this topic really came across. The biggest take-home messages for me are the fact that AI can be used to face challenges. It just gives us a new perspective or a new approach by which to do this. And also the recognition of the core principles behind AI. In my experience, practicing appreciative inquiry is usually easy, but sometimes it can be challenging. And if we remember its underpinning principles, it becomes easier to get back on track. That's it for this episode. Until next time.